We are continuing our series on peace today, and I was just uh, thankful to God as I was sitting, sitting here worshiping a moment ago uh, for this praise band, and grateful for the words of the songs that we've been singing this morning, because they really have reminded us that uh, when we're seeking for peace in our lives, that there's only one place we're going to find that, and it is in Christ alone. And today our text is going to remind us of that yet again as we look to God's Word this morning, uh, as we look at how it is that we find peace through our circumstances. Today we're going to look at five steps on the pathway to peace, and I hope that you're going to be encouraged by the things that you hear today. I hope that God will speak to you. That is my prayer, is that uh, the time of preparation will be fruitful in the sense that God will use this time together to encourage your hearts uh, in Christ. Let me ask you. Who would admit to the fact that their life has been stressful this week? Any show of hands? Okay, there are a few of you. Okay, great. All right. Well, I'm not alone then. I would admit certainly that this has been a stressful week for me in some ways. Two particular events that have occurred in my life this week that were just, they were not on my agenda. They were not on my calendar. And yet they were situations that were kind of out of my control. I had to make some decision about how I would respond to that. Well, if you find your life being somewhat stressful right now, you're not alone. Some of you might have read this week, uh, Gallup released a poll this, uh, this about three days ago. They released this, and then Time Magazine, USA Today, several other writers picked up uh, that report and wrote a number of articles about stress in America. Uh, their research indicated that 55% of Americans reported that their lives were particularly stressful, that they were going through some kind of unusual anxiety and challenges in their world. As a matter of fact, we rank pretty high in all the nations of the world. If you want to be very little stressed in your life, uh, a couple of South American countries or Central American countries you might want to move to, they score really, really low on that stress scale. But uh, in our world, in a developed world, in a nation that we have resources that are envied by much of the world, it's amazing that one out of every two Americans find themselves incredibly stressed. So if you're one of those people that don't particularly find yourself stressed right now. Just look to your left or your right. One of those people beside you probably are. And you can pray for them today uh, in their journey of navigating their stress. You know, this is not just adults that find themselves in stressful situations in life. Another recent article I read was entitled about Generation Z, our current generation of students, elementary, middle school, high school students, those born uh, after 1997, by some standards, would be Generation Z. The title of this article was Stress, Depressed, and Exam Obsessed. It says that this generation, 70% of students identified themselves under significant stress. If you talk with school counselors, they will affirm that idea, that they are seeing higher levels of stress and anxiety among today's students than previous generations. Some of them, that's all about those exams. They've got to make the right scores on the SATs to get into school, got to get into the right school. Some of them are experiencing a lot of stress and pressure related to their social media, that they don't have enough likes or enough friends or um, bullying and intimidation that happens in a digital world for today's generation of students. Perhaps the question that we need to ask is not so much, are we dealing with stress? Clearly we are. And the question is, how are we going to deal with that? What do we do with the anxiety and the stresses that we find today? If we look to the world for those answers, if you Google how to handle stress, you're going to find a number of great ideas. Someone's going to suggest that you try yoga. That's going to help you a lot. Uh, someone's going to recommend that maybe there's a medication for you. Some would suggest aromatherapy or deep breathing. Maybe essential oils are going to fix that. I don't know. Whatever those things are, you're going to find a lot of remedies out there in the world that are going to fix the stress and anxiety in your life. 
I'm going to suggest as followers of Jesus that we turn to the Word of God and then we find our answer there. We're going to find the best answers there. And we're going to find that God has not left us without direction for dealing with life circumstances. All of us find that there are circumstances and situations that are out of our control. Now, I brought my pillow with me this morning, and this is my pillow. But let me just tell you, this is a my pillow. In case you've seen the commercial, this really is a real genuine my pillow, and it is wonderful. I'm not doing a commercial for them or endorsing them, but I'm telling you, I really like this thing. It is amazing. And my pillow reminds me of life circumstances in this way. There's one position that you really want to be in on this pillow to get the greatest comfort out of it. That is on top of this pillow. See, life circumstances are that way. We find ourselves facing challenging circumstances in our lives. We need to figure out a way to be on top of those circumstances. Because like this pillow, the place you don't want to be is underneath this pillow. Because that's smothering. That is, that is life depleting. And the truth is that we have people that speak in our culture today about being under the circumstances. Sometimes they describe their lives in that way. Well, under the circumstances, I guess I'm doing okay. Can I just help you know that I don't believe God ever designed us to be living under the circumstances. God has given you and I as believers resources to be able to live regardless of our circumstances in a way that we still can maintain a level of peace in our lives. God, by his Holy Spirit, has equipped us to be able to do that. And so we don't have to find ourselves in a place of being controlled or dictated or defined in any way in our lives by our circumstances. I remember speaking to a teenager in my office several years ago when she had just been diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And one of the things she said to me was, I don't want to be defined or identified as the girl with JRA. You see, my life is much more than that, she said. So I'm not going to be defined by my circumstances. Today, I want to encourage you not to live under the circumstances in your life. Today's message is really going to contrast two different ways of living and dealing with life circumstances. We're going to see that in our text in just a moment. As we examine these words in the text, what I want you to help me do is just is to recognize that there are contrasting words in this text. One particular word that becomes a contrast to everything else that's in the text. Now, I like words. I like word games. Uh, I, I just, I'm just fascinated by words and uh, definitions. And some of the ways that we define words sometimes are by figuring out what the opposite of a word is. And it helps us define what this word is not. Some words are pretty simple. You can help me with this. I'm going to give you a word. You give me the opposite, okay? In, up, top. Okay, see, those are pretty easy because they're, they're just real simple antonyms that tell us exactly what these words are not. Some words are more complex. Sometimes their meanings are much broader, and we don't always know exactly what the single opposite word is. Let's try that, okay? Prayer. Sin, okay. What else did I hear over here? Silence. I can pray in silence. See, it's just not, it's not easy sometimes to find what's the opposite of that. Who's doing another one? Peace. Chaos. Anxiety, hostility. See, there's, there's a lot of different words that we would think of as the opposite of that. So I want you to look as we, as we read our text today, and I want you to see what words that Paul contrasts with those two ideas of both prayer and peace. Would you read with me? Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4 and following. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. you read through that text, there are some key words there. I've identified five that I'm going to say are at least these five steps on the pathway to peace to help us today. They're the verbs, they're the action words, things that we are to do. One of those is a negative command of something that we're not to do, and we'll come back and look at that word that was juxtaposed against peace and prayer. Let me remind you as we go through this text, something about the context of this writing. The Apostle Paul was writing this not from a luxury hotel room or from his mansion, no, The Apostle Paul was pinning the words of this letter to the believers of the church in Philippi from a prison cell. Not like a modern-day prison cell. Not one that's got an electronic door on it or not one that's air-conditioned or not one that has a restroom inside the cell. It wasn't like that. Several years ago, Joshua and I had an opportunity to be in Rome and to go to the Mamertine prison, which is where the Apostle Paul uh, was thought to be held. That prison really is a dungeon. It's an underground, it's, it's it's a dungeon. Uh, It's a stone wall, a hole carved out in the stone with a small hole in the floor. A ship's ladder goes down to it, and it's a dark, dark, damp dungeon. Not a place of pleasure. And the Apostle Paul from this place begins to write and pen a letter of encouragement. He begins to write a letter about joy and where we find joy and how to have joy. And it's from there that he gives these instructions. And they particularly remind us that our circumstances do not control the internal quality of our lives. And so step one on the pathway to peace, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again, he says, rejoice. I want to remind you that he is saying to us that we have got to find joy in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. He helps us know the source of that joy. He says that we're to rejoice in the Lord. The Apostle Paul doesn't tell us that we're to rejoice in our bad circumstances. If you go out today and wreck your car, you're not to go out and rejoice. Praise the Lord, I wrecked my car, I totaled it. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that we find our joy in our relationship with Christ. We can have joy because of everything that Christ has done for us. We can have joy in our lives because of what we celebrated last week, that he loved us enough that he went to the cross to give his life for us. And he lives again today that we might live. He loved us that much. We can find joy in our relationship with him. He adds an adverb to that. He helps us know when we're to rejoice in the Lord. He said we're to rejoice in the Lord always. Notice that there are no exceptions. There are no exemptions. He says always. He doesn't say that we're to rejoice in the Lord when our bank balance is high. Or we're to rejoice in the Lord when we get a promotion only. He says that we're to rejoice always. He gives us no out. On the pathway to peace, our joy is connected completely to our position and our relationship in Christ. It's not about the circumstances that we're facing. Not only does he tell us to rejoice in the Lord, he also tells us to be gentle to all. Be gentle to all. 
This quality of gentleness, this characteristic that we find, we see it exemplified in the life of Jesus. Again, from last week when we were celebrating Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, we were reminded of this moment when Jesus was before his accusers, when he was before Pilate, when he was before the Roman soldiers, when he was being flogged, when he was being judged. The Bible says that he stood silent before his accusers. And when men were nailing him to the cross, this quality of gentleness comes out when Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Apostle Paul is making a case for what he writes to the people of Galatia. And he tells us the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, is demonstrated in these qualities. Love, joy, rejoice in the Lord, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and yes, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You see, gentleness is contrasted with harshness. He says that when we're facing difficult circumstances, one of the things that needs to exude from us is gentleness in the way that we deal with other people. Our harshness does not remind others of Jesus. And he says there's something about this quality of gentleness that will be evident to all people. It's important for us to recognize that others are watching our lives. They hear the testimony from our lips that I'm a follower of Jesus, but sometimes, unfortunately, they see contradictory evidence in our lives by the way we behave. And the Apostle Paul says, regardless of your circumstances, you can have joy inside, it's expressed outside, and you can treat other people with gentleness. Step two, step one, rejoice in the Lord. Step two, be gentle to all. Step three, worry about nothing. Again, he makes an exclusive claim here or an inclusive claim here. It covers everything. He gives us no outs. He doesn't give us any exceptions. He gives us no exemptions. He says that we're to worry about nothing. Be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say unless you get a phone call, that's Christ, that's a crisis moment. You can worry then. He doesn't say that. He says we're to worry about nothing, be anxious for nothing. Reminds us so much of the words of Jesus. You remember that Jesus, Paul is just really... Uh, carrying on this teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, verses 25 to 34, we read these words from Jesus when he helps the uh, uh, people who are listening to him that day understand the importance of worry. Would you read along with me from Matthew chapter 6 uh, as I read from our text here? I've got it on the screen here. Okay, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, uh, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for neither, they neither sow nor do they reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? He goes on to say, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He goes on to say, therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Jesus told his followers, don't worry. And the Apostle Paul repeats this as he's speaking to the believers at Philippi. He said, worry about absolutely nothing. Why might he say that? Well, I think there are at least three reasons that Paul would have said this to his followers. Certainly they were probably anxious about something or he would not have said, look, don't be anxious about anything. Uh, they were facing circumstances that were difficult for them. He's challenging them to follow after Jesus in this way. One, because it's unreasonable. Think about for just a moment what worry does. It really doesn't make any sense for us to sit and stew and worry and be so focused on something that is outside of our control. If there's something that we can do to control that situation, we should take that step. But if it's an out-of-control matter, it does us no good to sit and worry about it. It's worthless. It's unreasonable. What does worry do? Worry just magnifies everything. It's like picking up a magnifying glass and putting it on top of the problem, and it just makes the problem bigger than it really is. A guy by the name of Ed Welch wrote a book several years ago called When People Are Big and God is Small. That's what happens when we worry about other people. We make people in our lives really big and important, and we act as if God is small and can't do anything about our situation. Worrying is unreasonable. Worrying is also unnatural. Do you recognize that worrying is a learned behavior? You have to learn how to worry. It's a result of sin entering into the world, but we, we are taught to worry. As a young child, I remember our family lived in Kentucky when I was in the first grade. We moved to Alabama when I was in the second grade. And every summer during my childhood years, my parents would take myself and my two siblings to my grandparents' house in North Mississippi, a little place called Guntown, Mississippi. It must have been population 50 at least. They lived on a farm there, and we would go there and spend a week. I didn't know at the time, but my parents were having a great vacation without us. But anyway, we were with my grandparents, and... As would be the case at times, storms would blow up in that northern part of Mississippi, and I'm sure tornadoes, as you know, have passed through that area as well. But my grandmother was absolutely terrified. As soon as the wind began to blow and she saw dark clouds in the west or the south, she just became paranoid. She had a storm cellar, and it didn't matter if it was daytime or nighttime when that happened. She would get us all up. We got to go. We got to go down. We got to go to the storm house. I think I grew up and learned to be more frightened of spiders and snakes. I was more concerned about what was in that storm house than the storm itself. But the truth is, I watched her, and I could see that she was terrorized by this, and it did not bring peace to my soul. I wondered what would have happened had she said, you know what, starting, the wind's starting to blow out there. Let's move into a room in the center of the house, and let's play a game here. That'll blow over. Everything will be okay. But instead... She taught us that storms were greatly to be feared and we should become incredibly frightened in that moment. Now, I'm grateful to God that I have grown and matured past that. I don't find myself living terrorized by storms, but it's a learned behavior. Jesus said the birds don't worry. It's an unnatural thing. He said the birds trust their Father in heaven. And what does he do for them? He feeds them. He cares for them. Worry is unreasonable. Worry is unnatural. Speaking of those birds, Martin Luther said that he had a robin that was his favorite preacher. A robin that was his favorite preacher. What did he mean? Every time this robin would light outside of his window, he would hear this bird chirp. He would be reminded of this passage, and we would do well to do the same. When we see the birds of the air, that we be reminded that there is a message being proclaimed to us, do not worry. Worry about nothing. Worry is also unhelpful. It's pointless. It accomplishes nothing of value. 
It can add nothing to us. It's a waste of the time that God has given to us. Reminds me of the little boy who said to his uh, friend, he said, no reason to be pessimistic. It probably wouldn't work anyway. You know, it's true. It's pointless to worry. It just doesn't work. Constant worry, not good for us. Some people would say a phrase like this, you know, I just worried myself sick. And do you know the truth is? That's true. You really can worry yourself sick. If you look up some of the um, symptoms or effects of worrying on people's lives, here's what you'll find. Unusual mood swings, irritability, anger, sweating, rapid heartbeat, chest pain, exhaustion, nervous twitching, decreased concentration and memory, nausea, shortness of breath. I sound like a medicine commercial, don't I? I know, that's exactly right. These some, some side effects may include hair loss, weight gain, weight loss, panic, indecisiveness, canker sores, muscle tension, insomnia, self-medicating, high blood pressure, overeating, reckless driving. I just tell you, it's unproductive, it's unhelpful. Worry does nothing for us whatsoever. Nothing positive for us. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 tells us something that worry does. It says, anxiety in the heart causes depression. You may not know that verses of the Bible. You might want to write that down. The cause of depression is right there. It's a cause of depression. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart. But do you recognize that Proverbs 14, 20 says that tranquility in the heart brings life to the bones? See, this contrast between a life of worry and anxiety and a life of peace is enormous. It's not just a small distance between the two. It is a great distance between those two. So the Apostle Paul goes on in Philippians to tell us what's our next step then on this journey. Step one, rejoice in the Lord. Step two, be gentle to all. Step three, worry about nothing. Step four, pray about everything. Pray about everything. And again, he uses this big word, painting with a broad brush, he includes some things, no, everything. Sometimes people will ask, should I pray about these small things? I just pray about the big things. Let me ask you this. In comparison to God, what's big to God? He says here that we should pray about everything. If it's important to you, it's important to God. Peter said it this way, cast all your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. If it's important to you, it's important enough to talk to God about. In this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul uses four words here for prayer. He first uses a word, if you were to see this in the, in the Greek, it's a little more clear, but he uses this word in general for pray. We need to talk to God. Instead of spending our time worrying about things that we cannot control, the Apostle Paul said, look, turn to God, talk to him. He uses the word supplication, ask him. And then he uses this qualifier with thanksgiving. We need to thank God. And then he uses this final word, make your request known to God. Ask him specifically. The words all have real clear meanings in that sense, but that last word says, look, pray specifically, ask God specifically for your situation, for the things that you are concerned about, turn to him. How is it that that's beneficial for us? It is beneficial for us because when we turn to God in prayer, we are recognizing who he is. He is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who can move everything in this universe. God is the one who can make a difference in the situation. And we're calling out to him to take control of the situation, to make a difference in the situation, and if not to change the situation, 
that he would change us. And in that journey, we cry out to God. We ask him for what is needed. We give him thanks. We're expressing in advance to him our confidence in him by thanking him for what he has already done and what he will do for us in the days to come. We are acknowledging to him that he is in control and that we are trusting in him. And then we specifically ask him for what it is that we need. What does he say is the response to this? Man, he says in response to this that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. He said there just aren't the right words to be able to fully explain this peace. But he said there is this peace that belongs to God that he will give to us. And it will stand guard over our hearts and minds Where? Again, in Christ Jesus. This is all about our being connected with and being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I was doing a wedding at Little Creek Chapel. And I got to the rehearsal that afternoon. And unfortunately, someone had booked two wedding rehearsals that day and two weddings, consequently, the next day at 2 o'clock, same time. We were the smaller of the wedding parties. And for those of you that are military, you understand how this works. If you're going on to a base, there has to be a list at the gate with your names approved in advance, all those things. So they moved us, our wedding, they moved to Fort Story. And I asked about the guard gate list, and they said, it's no problem. They said, we are one contiguous, you know, amphibious base now. We're all joint. It's not a problem. And do you know what I did with the wedding party? We drove right off Little Creek Base, and we drove down the road, and we got to Fort Story. I was the first in line. And the groom had actually gone in the back gate, and we didn't know that. So I just explained to the gate guard that I was there to do this wedding rehearsal, and he asked for my ID, and I said, I have my license. He said, no, I need a military ID. I said, I don't have a military ID. He said, well, sir, you can't get on this base without a military ID. I said, well, but I'm supposed to do this. He said, sir, you're not getting on this base without a military ID. I said, okay. He said, you need to make a U-turn and pull off the base. So we did. Called the groom, and he came, and so... He went through before me, and I thought, okay, good. He's going to explain. They're all with me. So when I pulled back up, he said, I need your ID. And I said, I don't have military ID. He said, sir, what don't you understand? I just told you, you can't get on this base without a military ID. And I said, would you mind calling the chapel? No, sir, I will not call the chapel. He said, I'm under strict orders from, and he named the admiral or general or someone that had given him this order, and his responsibility was to guard this gate. He had a big gun with him. (laughs) I had nothing, you know. I didn't even have a military ID. And so what I realized in that moment was, well, I realized I'm not getting on this base. I knew that. Uh, We ended up making arrangements to do the wedding at another site. It all worked out. They got married. It's good. Here's what I want to tell you. That young man was doing his job. He had orders. That post was safe because nobody was getting past him without the proper credentials. That's what Paul says. Think about what it would be like to have a sentry To have a guard over your heart, keeping worry at bay. 
I don't have to live a life filled with worry. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give me a peace that will guard my heart and mind. He is standing there on duty. Worry is not coming past that gate unless I give it permission for that guard to stand down and let worry come in. God's given us a great promise in this passage of Scripture. There's a fifth step that we find listed here, and it really is that we should think about virtuous things. He concludes this text by reminding us that uh, in verse 8, he uses the word finally, I'm wrapping things up. He's saying, finally, whatever things, and he goes through this litany, this list of things that are uh, true and pure and noble uh, and lovely and of good reports. He said, if there is anything of virtue, anything that's worthy of praise, Set your mind on these things. Meditate on these things. Think about these things. Now you get to choose. In Christ, you get to choose where you're going to focus your attention. I can sit and stew on something that I can do nothing about all day and worry myself sick. Or I can go into the throne room of the king of the universe and say to him, God, this is what I need. He says, it's a great promise there, verse 9, the things that you have heard and that you've received, or the things that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, what a great promise. We find ourselves in life circumstances, things that are out of our control. We have two clear choices to make. I can go it as if I'm in control and I'm self-sufficient and I can handle this by myself. I can turn to the God of the universe. I can rejoice in him. I can be um, gentle to all. I can worry about nothing. I can pray about everything. And I can think about those things which are good. This past week I had an opportunity to read, uh, continue reading in a book that I started several months ago book by Stephen Curtis Chapman called Between Heaven and the Real World. What an amazing, amazing story. Uh, those of you that are familiar with Stephen Curtis Chapman know that he's been writing wonderful Christian music for 30 years plus. Uh, he and his wife several years ago went on a new journey that God took them on of international adoption. They adopted some children from China. And a few years back, uh, one of those uh, young gals unfortunately was killed. She was run over by his son who was driving up in the driveway in his car. His little sister, in excitement of seeing him, was playing off to the side of the house, and he couldn't see her coming, and she ran toward the car, excited that her brother was home, and the car struck her. She died at Vanderbilt. He wrote in his book that while he and his wife were at the hospital, standing by the bed of their daughter, just the devastation of one of life's most harsh circumstances, he said, the words of Matt Redman's song, Blessed be your name, based on Job's statement, ran through my mind. My heart would choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. He said, it was all I could muster. And when I did, he said, the light and clarity came back to me. Later, he writes, I discovered that my worship of God and my declaration, God, you are my God, you are in control, 
You have defeated the enemy and I will trust you. It was the difference between life and death, between hope and despair. As dark as this valley of the shadow of death was, I worshiped and I trusted. I was certain that God was there with us. And the only thing that I could imagine being more frightening than going through the darkness with God was being alone in the darkness without God. That would be the ultimate of hopelessness. When I read that, I thought, Ben, is that not our passage of Scripture from this week? Here is one who chooses to rejoice in the Lord always in terrible circumstances. Let your gentleness be made known to all the Lord is at hand. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And what happens? In the peace of God, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. An amazing story and a picture of that for us, even this day. The last verse, verse 9 of this passage of Scripture, I just want to say, reminds me again that Paul was in a relationship with these people and there was a sense of community that existed there. These believers were going to hear this message that Paul had written because these letters would be read to all the churches. But they were connected to one another relationally. And I just say to you, that happens in our church in a number of ways. It happens here in this setting. But it also happens through our life groups in our church. When I look around this room, I see individuals. that I know their lives are encouraged because they're connected with other people who are encouraging them. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I need to be reminded of this very lesson today. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. I need other people in my life who will remind me when I'm prone to get in the fetal position and worry about something to say, hey, 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 wake up. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Some people around me encourage me. If you're not connected with that kind of community of believers, you don't have some people around you like that, I want to invite you into one of those groups. There are a number of those groups. We have several groups that meet on campus here on Sundays. And then we have 24 other groups that are scattered throughout the community during the week. You need to be in that kind of relational connection. The Apostle Paul said to them, the things that you heard from me, that you learned from me, what you saw me do, all of those things tell me that they had been around him and that they knew what to do because someone had shown them how to do it. I would encourage you to take advantage of being connected with those around you so that you could live your life marked by this pathway to peace not a life filled with worry and anxiety. Close with this. Corrie Ten Boom, many of you remember, as a, a lady who lived through the Second World War in Germany, and she, along with her family, took it upon themselves to, be, uh, to make a place called the hiding place for uh, members of uh, the Jewish community that needed a place to be safe from the Nazis in Germany. And they hid these people in their homes, and eventually they were found out. All of her family was killed except for her. And in her story, her testimony, she said that she would write about life's most difficult circumstances and hardships. And we really have three options. She said, I found that I could look inside myself for help. I could look inside myself and find a mess. I could look to the world and find distress. Or I could look to Jesus and I would find rest. Can I just tell you, the best place for us to be in life is on top of our circumstances, not underneath them. God has made a way possible for you to do that. 
but it is limited. It's limited to those who are in Christ. Remember, the peace of God, the peace that belongs to him, the peace of God comes from the God of peace to those who have peace with God. Paul wrote to the believers in Romans that it was through Christ that I can have peace with God. First, it's a connection between you and Jesus. If you're in a relationship with him, then this peace, not only peace with God is possible, but also peace within yourself is possible. And today, I want to encourage you to be sure that you are taking the steps that you need to take on this pathway to peace. It is for those who know Christ. Paul was writing to a group of believers. If you don't know Christ today, I would simply invite you where you are to pray, to invite Jesus to step out of heaven and step into your heart and take away life's anxieties and fill you with peace with God and the peace of God passes all understanding. If you know Christ, I encourage you today to figure out which of those five steps, maybe you need to take one of those steps today along the way. Maybe it is that you simply need to rejoice in the Lord today. Maybe it's something about your gentleness to all people. Maybe it is that you need to close the door on worry. Worry about nothing. Maybe you need to take some time here today to pray about everything. I want to encourage you to think about virtuous things. God does have a plan for us. doesn't leave us without instruction on how to deal with life's hardships, life's circumstances. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Let's pray together. Father, now God, what a joy to be in your <coughs> gathering today of men and women who are followers of Christ. I pray today, God, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would remind us that say, you really do have a way for us to live our lives, even under difficult circumstances, God, as individuals who are at peace. I pray, God, that our lives would radiate the joy of Christ, the gentleness of Jesus. Father, I pray that in this moment you would do the work in our hearts and lives that you want us to do, that you desire to do in us. Father, would you give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today? Would you help us respond to all that you call us to do in faith and obedience? Father, if there are those here today who don't know Christ, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and help them understand how calling on Jesus can change everything. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray.